The Choose Love movement offers no-cost solutions that keep our kids safe, providing them with the skills and tools they need to flourish. Join us in our mission to create the world we want to live in, one that's connected and compassionate. Check us out at chooselovemovement.org. Together, we can choose love. Hello, everyone. My name is Scarlett Lewis. I'm the founder of the Choose Love Movement, and I am so excited to have a very special guest today, Dr. Sally Goldberg. Sally, um, our languaging and messaging is so similar. Thank you so much for being on the Choose Love podcast. And if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself because I think that it's best coming from you. Oh, Scarlett, this is so (laughs) delightful. And I'm so honored for you to approach me in that way. And I'm happy to, to give this history of how I found out what I know and how important it is to act on it and how coordinated you and I are in what we're doing. That's like astounding. So in this whole big universe that we got together and we're going to make an impact that's really going to make a difference. It is, it is amazing. You use the same wording that just <laughs> left on our kitchen chalkboard before he died, you use research and you also have this message. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm just reading from one of your blog posts. Stop mass murders where they start. Easy as one, two, three. And I've been saying that all school shootings are 100% preventable. I'm not sure why more people aren't saying that. And uh, so, so, I'm so happy for you to share your story. There's usually a very interesting story behind why people uh, are are focused on what we're focused on. And I know there is in your case. And then you have a whole bunch of interesting resources for us. So where did your whole story start? My story started, gosh, how do you say this? I I started because I was a teacher. Mm-hmm. I was a first grade teacher mm-hmm. and I chose first grade because I liked the beginning. I thought how special that is to help children get off on the right foot in the best start rather than all the remediation that's going on right now. Right. So that was the beginning. Um, then the second part of my concept for a career was I really don't want to stay teaching. I want to do something a little bit bigger. So I'm starting with teaching, but I love materials. I love educational materials. I love writing. I love books. I love um, producing things that children could learn from. So that was the goal. And I was headed in that direction. And then my first daughter was born. And she was born with a developmental delay. And at that time, um, people didn't know a lot about what to do or where to go for information. There was so, so little. So I did what any other parent would do. I read everything there was to read. I bought all the everything there was to buy. And then I made everything that wasn't there that could help her. Mm-hmm. And so using my educational background, thinking, oh, yeah, remember, I thought education started in first grade in the beginning. Maybe it starts right here at birth, and maybe I can start making a difference right away. 
So I began to make things that my baby could learn from. So what did I start with? I start with observing. Well, what does she like to play with? What is she doing? How does she spend her time? This is how basic it was. Mm-hmm. And so I could see she liked cards and paper, plastic containers, just plain simple things. So then I thought, what if I turn those plain simple things into teaching toys that she could learn from? So that's really what happened. I made these toys out of cards, papers, and plastic containers. And by the time she was two, she knew all the colors, the letters, the numbers, the shapes. And she was reading over 100 words. And so she's the one that really started the whole process because people started noticing what she was doing and they said our children are older than her and they don't have any problem like she does and they don't know half of what she does how did you teach her and so I really didn't know because I wasn't knowing what I was doing really I was just with with a mission to teach her Mm -hmm. so one mother said what if I get a bunch of mothers together in our neighborhood would you give us some workshops on how you taught her So that was another kind of beginning. So she got the mothers together. I got materials together and taught them the six workshops. Then they liked it. And I thought, well, maybe if they liked what I taught them, maybe other people would like that. And then I thought if I took the materials that I used, maybe I could write a book. And then I wrote a book. And then I wrote some more books <laughs> and we're already you wrote, up to book you wrote teaching with toys and growing with games. Yes. What kids like to do, they like to play. And if you could use that play time to also teach them, that's a brilliant idea. And did you, did you get your PhD um, before this or, or during? No, I, I had no aspirations of getting a PhD. I really was interested in a master level career and um, working nicely and pleasantly without any great mission of any kind, mm-hmm. except for what I mentioned before. But anyway, one thing led to another. So because these mothers like the workshops, then I started teaching in different preschools and temples and other places. And then a professor from the University of Miami, that's where we were, she asked, uh, she read about what I was doing, teaching babies, teaching two-year-olds, three-year-olds, and she said, would it be okay if I came and observed how you were teaching these little ones? And so she did. And then at the end of the time, she came over to me and she said, how would you like to study for your PhD? We could, you know, pay for your whole program. If you gave, we would give you an assistantship. You would do a little work for us. And then would you like that? <laughs> so I had to think about it because it was a brand new idea. But anyway, I um, discussed it and everyone gave me a yay, go ahead and do it. And so then I was able to write the second two books after teaching with toys and growing with games um, with all the educational information that went with it. So there were similar books. Um, one was Baby and Toddler Learning Fun, and the other one was Make Your Own Preschool Games. They paralleled the other books, and then then those came into being. And then I wrote actually a landmark book, which is part of the history, because this was right after 
the Carnegie Commission report. Ah, involvement. What does it say? Parent involvement begins at birth. Correlation between parents and teachers of children in the early years. Amazing. this was published, believe it or not, I don't like to say all these years, in 1997. And the focus at that time, they, the reason they wanted me to do this book was because parent involvement begins at birth was a, a brand new idea. Mm-hmm. Nobody had that idea, but mm-hmm. they understood that I had that idea. And mm-hmm. so this contains so much information about what's needed and so wow, then we- that's amazing. And you had you referred to the Carnegie Commission um, that was established in 1994 that studied the roots of violence and found that there was something missing. I, I, I love that you were so interested in this. Oh, my. Well, this is my life as well. You know. This is your life. And like you, when you started saying in the beginning, so many people do not know this. And mm-hmm. so this is our life. And, and, and this right now, what I'm saying is the real history, the, the real history. So this is the Carnegie Commission report, starting points. And this was a multi-million dollar study. And it and, says meeting the needs of our adolescents. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yes, meeting yeah. the needs of our youngest children. Yeah. But what is so fascinating is this multi-million dollar study was for the purpose of finding out why we had so much crime and violence in our country at that time. So we're going early 90s. This was finished in 1994. What that that was the mission. How come there's so much crime and violence? And much to their surprise, after they studied the teenage years, the young adult years, the prison system, everything about the where they thought they were going to find the problem, they found it in the first three years. Mm-hmm. And that I mean it's all here. It didn't go away, and I saved it because wait a second, so- that was like 20 years ago. It's more. Well, yeah. Right? Yes. And and so we've angry. known this. We've known this information. And uh, you've been out on the front lines trying to spread this at, with, along with skills and tools and books and resources. Exactly. And not everybody agrees with all of I mean, not that you can't not agree with it, but you don't get it. They don't. They don't get it. So mostly... It gets passed by. So I thought I, I was a professor of edu- this time. By this time, I was a professor of education. And that's how we really knew a lot about the study. And I taught it to students. And so I thought because it was it happened in 1994 and we were already in the late 90s or mid 90s, that the logical thing would happen is that our school system or our national system in some way would respond to this and mm-hmm. start to give programming to parents in the early years mm-hmm. because those were the people that interacted with small children in the first three years. Mm-hmm. I really thought this is a no-brainer. This is what's going to happen. We got the information and what you mentioned before, they identified what was missing in the lives of those people in prisons. 
they knew what was missing. And it started with what your son told us. He knew. Nurturing, so, healing, yes. love. Nurturing, love. It's incredible. <laughs> incredible. That's, That's what was missing. And, you know, the thing is, uh, it's it's kind of not exactly what you want to hear. If you're really focused on a solution, to hear that it is the first three years and that all the responsibility goes on the parents, um, it's that's it's kind of mm, complicated in a way because you have parents in various states of trauma themselves. And so it's not an easy fix. And even in the realm of social and emotional competence, these uh, essential life skills that we're not born with, we have to learn. You know, even I got to be an adult. I say even I, but I'm just saying that uh, I didn't have these essential life skills. I was doing the best that I can with the skills and tools that I have. And I, I do truly believe the absolute vast majority of parents are doing that, but they were never taught social emotional competence as me. And we all are, let me say, no one gets through life without difficulty and pain it's part of being a human being and we it's 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 beneficial if we learn some skills and tools and have the courage to face that pain rather than resist and avoid it or numb ourselves or do some other unhealthy coping mechanism so you have all of these now adults that are having kids and they're passing along their trauma, not only in the genes, but in their behaviors and modeling. And so it's not an easy fix. Correct. It is not an easy fix, but you'll have this. Along came in the late 90s, Hampton, Virginia. Hampton, Virginia was crime ridden, ridden with crime. And, it, and they had so many difficulties. And I, I wish I could find out who know who knew this or who led the idea. But the idea was let's start with the new parents and the parents of young children and support them. So this fits very well with what you're saying because teaching them and and giving them the information and making it too complicated, which it isn't, because nurturing love isn't in itself is not complicated, and giving them support supplies. Um, they gave them uh, bottles and uh, diapers and what, what, classes even and parenting classes and help with childcare. So this was all new and helpful. And believe it or not, they turned their city around and they conquered the crime and violence. And you don't have to wait for adulthood for this to show up because when you really do start early, it grows. So they had in their community children who were starting to be more well-behaved, children that were more polite and nice to each other. So you see, these are basics that grow out of nurturing and love and being cared for and prepared. And like you said, not worrying about the food that's going to be on your table or the real life things that make home life very difficult. And, and we have a lot of that going on now, real life things. So these people need help. And so they need help, but everybody needs help because you're describing the same thing that I had. <clears throat> I didn't know what to do. 
I, and then I pounded the pavement to try to find out. And so, for instance, when I was looking for what to do, I came across in this very famous and landmark book. So it says the first three years of life again. By know, Burton White, by Burton White, for those who aren't watching. Yes, a professor of education at Harvard. He completed 30 years of research, and this goes back to 1975. That's when he wrote this book. There's been many newer editions of it, but he, the first one was then. And he studied what does help children, what is good for children. So he was, this was a very good basic book for what I was able to put together in this one and then other ideas. So you're correct. I mean, I did not leave a stone unturned in putting all these things together. And now at this point in time with what's going on, this change in society, it's more needed than, it was always needed. <laughs> it's more needed than ever. And we need to stop that pattern and we can. We can and they're all looking for it in different places and we know where it is because it grows from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so here, I, this is what I said, I was, had all the resources and they went, need to know the pieces of the puzzle. So you ready for one more? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I just want to ask before yeah. you show that, uh, I, I maybe some people and I am thinking, well, uh, supporting new parents in the way that you're describing costs money, right? That uh, costs money. And I think it's it would probably be very interesting, and I'm sure that we know the comparison to how much money that would cost to support new parents in the way that they need to be supported in order to uh, in order to enable them to provide this nurturing love, as opposed to dealing with the issues that occur later in life when it is not, when when kids aren't receiving this nurturing love, I'm, I'm sure that the gap is very wide, that it is much more expensive, I guess I'm trying to say, to deal with lack of nurturing love when these kids are older, they enter the prison system than it is during their first three years of life. And they began to study that after the Carnegie Commission report. That was a thrust that did get out, that they compared the money that went into all of the repair work compared to early childhood. And so what happened though, because of the way everything was and still is, they put in programs for young children for, at four years old. So in other words, if kindergarten started at five, they said, well, no, 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 we have to have a head start and preschool and we have to start early. So I'm looking, no, 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 don't do, I mean, do it, but that's not it. It's birth to three years old. It's parenting, it's early parenting. So I'm watching and everything. And, you know, eventually we got something down to three-year-olds beginning at three. Mm -hmm. But actually that's too late. We mm -hmm. really have a message out here to start in the first three years because those are the formative years. Mm -hmm. All that 
time, that's when you learn to walk and talk and run and jump and play. By the time you're three, you have all of your basic skills that you're ever going to have as an adult. You grow with them, but you're not in the formative years. So you, this formative years is so important. The language that the children hear during that time is formative. That's the language that they know. That's why we, I don't know how many languages you know, I only know one really good one, English, because that's the one that was taught to me. If I was taught in Japanese or Chinese or any other, that's what I would know. Mm -hmm. We are so formative. And mm -hmm. then along came all the brain research telling us that the brain starts with 100 billion cells but the experiences are what fill it in with a hundred. I, I have all that written down, but it's like a hundred million per second of the synapses that are forming the brain and they even forming during sleep. So when people think that sleep is not important, it's so important and a schedule for the baby so that they get the full amount that they need because the brain doesn't stop. There's so much to this. And so by the time you're three, then you are ready in other ways to develop and in productive ways. So that it's not, I still not easy. I understand. I mean, it's still not easy, but it is doable to focus on that first year of support and nurturing love for the parent population uh, that we can make a huge difference. You know, it was interesting for both of my boys. So I was a single work, full-time working parent. So I got six weeks off and then had to go back to work and hand over my six-week-old baby to daycares. And, uh, you know, subsequently in, in researching what is the solution to what happened to my six-year-old son who was murdered in his first grade classroom, I realized the amount of brain development that's happening at that age, not just at that age, by the way, the first program I ever created in the Choose Love movement is for prenatal because there's so much information that is coming from a mother's re reactions to her environment to the baby's forming brain. Uh, that cortisol that's released during stress is literally telling a, a baby's forming brain, look, you don't have to come out and read, you have to come out and run. So prefrontal cortexes where logic and reasoning uh, and critical thinking reside, that can be smaller. The, uh, the freeze fight or flight part of the brain can be larger in these babies. So you're already starting off at a disadvantage if you had a mom that was highly stressed during her pregnancies and then you take this baby and it's the same environment and then you hand them over to a daycare, which in my case, you know, I had a hard time uh, paying for daycare with uh, with the amount of money that I got. So there were tons of babies in the daycare and uh, only a few providers. So, I, you know, I, they were in cribs and I don't even know how much attention they got. Um, and so that's why we created an infant toddler program as well that we provide to daycares at no cost so that they can learn these skills and tools that they need to help these babies develop their brains as best as possible. Uh, so that's just a little bit of background in what we've done in Choose Love, but I completely understand, in fact, uh, in my 
in my desire to be part of the solution, I've spoken to school shooters and uh, even did a podcast with a mitigation expert who is a person that goes in in potential death death penalty cases and looks at the social biology of the mass murderer and breaks it apart and looks at previous generations and uh, such an interesting conversation with her. But I asked her, in your experience working with mass murderers, what's the most important time in their life? And she said the first two months of attachment and interaction with the birth parent, preferably, or caregiver just fascinating. Finding an attachment is the very first thing that yeah. starts the whole ball rolling. And if you don't have that, you can't catch up on that later. Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 boy, I'm, it's like, you know, when you, when you meet your, your, your friends or something like that, somebody <laughs> understands me. I'm an awe that you have the infant toddler program and that you even said finding an attachment. So uh, let's see if I can quickly find. Oh, you know, both of us, we're trying to reduce violence. And I I loved the titles of your blogs. You have violence busting. Uh, You know, uh, gun violence starts at birth. I 100% agree. That's why I was so excited to get you on the podcast. And I hope that we work together moving forward. I had no idea that you could would be and could be and are that excited about all this because we both talked that a lot of other people are not. And this is the thing to be so excited about. If you want to if you want to address the root cause of violence, substance abuse, and the vast majority of mental illnesses, you would look at this age frame. Yes. So the the seventh and most recent book puts the whole program together, this uh, fun baby learning games, and this is activities to promote development in infants, toddlers, and two-year-olds. Now, this is like, this is like a little bit of a dream come true. It's right here. It's hard to know why it's such a dream, but this is the table of contents. And you have the first year, the second year, and the third year. And you have the first year, believe it or not, four stages. Who would think that the first year has four different stages that have to be promoted and coddled and supported? And the second year is two, from two two, uh, two to two and a half, two and a half to three, I did it wrong. That's the bottom one. And then the second one is one year to two, one to one and a half, one and a half to two. So you can see that the detail of the first year is much greater and much, therefore, very important to address and not to skip over. Mm-hmm. And so the book just focuses on very, um, not very introductory material that a parent could read in a paragraph about what's going on at the different stages. And then after a paragraph and you know, you can focus your attention on what's going on. So as you know, the mantra for my work is every minute counts. 
Uh-huh. Everybody counts in the development of a baby and everybody else too. So every minute is a larger proportion of a baby's time. It's a smaller portion of our time, still important. And we're still formative too. E- everyone is. Our experience make us who we are. So if we spend our time in positive, or if they can be as positive as they can be, we're not going to be Pollyanna and say, say something else. It's then we're growing in positive ways. If they're negative, as they are in many places for many people, then they foster the negativity that is not necessary and causes the problem. Well, I so, think negativity is our can be our reaction to difficulty that happens in our life. And in the Choose Love movement, we teach and offer the courage to be able to face difficulty that happens in your life and hurt. That's just part of being human beings. We know our kids are going to get hurt physically, mentally, and emotionally. We've been hurt. We need to have the courage to be able to face that. First off, the understanding that we grow through that pain, that that is actually an opportunity for growth. Um, There's actually scientific research on it. It's called post-traumatic growth. And then we need some skills and tools to be able to take that difficulty, learn from it, grow through it, and be strengthened by it, attach a different meaning to it. When you you attach uh, a certain uh, narrative, a victim narrative, perhaps, then yes, that leads to suffering. But if you can set this expectation up and you are able to grow through difficulty, then that gives it uh, a certain purpose and you can use it. Uh, Use that wisdom, which comes from learned experience, both good and bad, to further yourself and help other people. This is so on target that, perfectly said and it brings up it's, it brings up a related issue related and very important and that is the pain of the parent who went through the trauma of the violence mm-hmm. so it's a terrible pain and so that's why we have to wipe it out it's like that you can have other kinds of pain and whatever but the one that you had to go through it wasn't unnecessary. It could have been avoided. We can avoid it. So that, that's, exactly that's right. what is so important about this work is to wipe out that pain. So I have a similar mission because a child born with a developmental delay, well, there's so much focus. We help the child, the child, you know, be better, do all these things. But the pain that, because of that is very very great and you and my 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 uh, intuition or said i don't want another parent to have to go through this i want to stop this same mm-hmm. thing with the with the developmental delay that caught it caused it's a tip like you said it's a tricky subject to talk about you don't want to say it's but nevertheless it's something that causes pain it causes pain to mothers it causes pain to pain to families it breaks up families it causes a dysfunction it causes a lot of problems so you say i don't want that to happen to one more family that let's wipe that out so i actually have some um thrust of what i do to uh 
it, it sounds so major, but I really have a clue to how to wipe out the disability that caused this pain to me. I'm like, no other people to have to have that pain. So I'm following that line of work. That's incredible. Do you want to label that disability for us? Because part of the remediation is not to use labels, even though, right, it's not necessary. I mean, I understand it's necessary, but that's not necessary. Well, and the other thing is any, any cognitive global delay, any disability is going to be helped by nurturing love during the first three years. Now, I bet you say all these things that are so, so right. Well, it's true. So, and what, what would you say to parents out there who are still in the line of thinking that, uh, you know, you you put your kid on a feeding schedule and you put your child in a crib and they should be sleeping through the night by themselves um you know from the beginning like they're just they're they're more uh they have rules that maybe they've read in books uh you know a, a child's crying uh you know let them cry it out themselves or they're just going to use crying to get your attention. I mean, what would you say to that, all that train of thought? I I think going with, you know, in that line of thinking, it's an unnecessary um, burden (laughs) to carry because we can follow development as I've done it in this book in a positive way. So, if you put your focus on what's happening at that age and stage, and like I mentioned, there's eight from birth to age three, you spend your time promoting what's going on, um, making yourself available to do the recommended things. So it, it, very briefly, let's say birth to three months, the beginning is a welcoming time. So if you know that, you want to be welcoming all the time. And what goes with welcoming? It goes smiling and friendship and joy. Mm. And then you get in the habit of expressing joy just at this very first stage. And then this forms the baby to feel that he's contributing in a joyful way. And so what's happening here is the beginning of self-esteem. And I know Mm. that's a word that you know (laughs) and that I know, but that's the goal is self-esteem. So it doesn't start at three years old and four years old and five. It continues. It continues, of course. But the start is right there. So in a way, the concept that you were talking about is a little too rigid for if you have a little bit of knowledge, it's all you really need, of what's going on. You can spend your time in this very positive way making those things happen. So that would be what I'd say about that. And then, and it's easy to see how a parent, um, because this was, this was actually me uh, for both of my kids after their birth, worried about money, uh, worried about child support, worried about when I was going to get back to work, uh, if I was going to have a job, where I was going to, um, 
have my baby go to daycare? What kind of people were going to be taking care of them? Oh my gosh, I went to uh, public, private daycares, and uh, you know, I must have been through ten uh, at least for my kids' uh, childhoods, and so all you know, and and and. I wasn't worried so much about food, but can you even imagine if the need went to food and shelter, how it would be hard then to approach your baby in a welcoming way with, uh, with you know, only joy uh, because you're worried about those essential things. And that is right there in a nutshell where we have the problem. So we want to we, you and I didn't figure out exactly how to solve that yet, but it sounds like we we can come up with answers. You already started an infant toddler program, mm -hmm. and you know it's like we said, it's an, it expands to all parents because now there's even other issues of parents being so busy, and even if they are not worried about food on the table, but they're worried about their job. And they have pulls on one side and then it pulls you away from the baby and there's too much going on. And that also brings me to another tie that I didn't know anybody else in the world knew about or thought, but pregnancy. So we have modern parents now who have to deal with modern life and they have these jobs and the stress of pregnancy, like you said, is very causative of very bad things before the baby is even born. So one of the basic things for the baby in the first year is for the baby now, a born baby is a schedule because a schedule includes proper feeding times, proper sleep times, proper mobility times, proper fresh air time. That's what the schedule included, that's so important. But rewind back to the mother she had a schedule too for the, when she's carrying the baby and probably your schedule wasn't very good for eating times or sleeping times or moving times or fresh air. The baby, because she's taking a train or she's taking a bus or she's got to make an appointment and all of that is the schedule. So we do need, to, we want to help right there in the beginning. So that beginning the first year beginning coddling those people at that time in however is realistic, uh, we want to do that. And just sort of piggybacking on that. So what we don't want to, it's not a, it's not a list of things to do. <clears throat> nurturing love is very different. Nurturing, nurturing love, um, I call it part one for that part. Play, act natural, respond and touch and talk. So part one, play, act natural, respond, touch and talk, that's it, <laughs> that's it. That encompasses a loving environment. Mm -hmm. So if it says touch and talk, that sounds, well, okay, I can do, of course you can do that, but if you don't remember to do it, you can put your baby down, you can try to put them in the swing, you can put them in the stroller, you don't want to do that. If you don't have to, you just want your baby right here. Even if you were that papoose, or you want your baby right here where you can touch and talk. So you need help to do those things, but you wouldn't do them if you didn't know it was important. So we have a lot that we can give in a small amount of information that will carry a lot of weight for that whole time. 
And I think, you know, you said we haven't talked about solving it, but I think a lot of uh, solving the issue is awareness. And just us having this conversation now, I know that as a mom, you know, I'm looking at your books going, I wish that I had known that. As a mom, I wish that I had known how to manage my stress while I was pregnant. I didn't. I had no idea that my reactions to external events were could actually be negatively impacting my baby's forming brain. If I did, I would have done something about it. And I believe that you know the vast majority of parents just need to have this awareness. You know, you just laid out several things that you can do so that they know what to focus on. And then they have to remember it. They have to be mindfully aware of it. They actually have to do it. But I think that most parents will do it. And it's not even to say that we don't have a natural instinct as mothers to want to do those things. We do. There are things in our life that get in the way. And it's nice if those can be mitigated for us. But even if they can't, uh, we still then can understand that nurturing love, being present, coddling, uh, snuggling, talking to, communicating with, looking in the baby's eyes, loving is so important. Um, and, and, and it needs to be reiterated because we have research from... 30 years ago, that shows that how you handle your baby now is going to impact them for the rest of their life. And it's really important. And so, you know, you're responsible for that, that little bundle of joy. And, and uh, throughout, and, and what you do in the beginning is going to impact them throughout their life. Yes. And <laughs> what uh, there's even another angle to that, like the parents who are disadvantaged and, and have struggles, everybody has struggles, some have more, th more things that are pulling them away. But even if they knew that they were a val very valuable player in their child's growth and develop, in their baby's growth and development, well, that raises their self-esteem. You mean it makes a difference if I sing a song or hug or play or make eye contact? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Well, now you know. And like we have been saying, if you know, you can make choices different than choices you would make if you're not knowledgeable about these things. So self-esteem is the key to everyone's success. Um, there's a book called The Power of Positive Thinking, Norman Vincent Peale, and he threw this out in the 50s. And he said that self-esteem is the most important thing to have to be successful. And a lot of people don't have it. And that he, the work he did was to help people get it. Mm -hmm. And he also said a lot of people can't. After the length of time that they've been beaten down or whatever has happened, they can't. Mm -hmm. And so actually, that was one of my influences in developing everything, saying, well, if it's so hard to get it when you don't have it, maybe if you can build it in from the beginning, then that would be the answer to, to giving it to people. So this is a quick little sketch of development. 
And the goal is self-esteem. And so how is it built? It's built in three areas in the middle, your cognitive development, your motor development, and your social development. So it isn't praising somebody. It's really, that's why this development book is so important in all those stages, because they're all built around in each age and stage, even birth to three months, three to six months, what you do in cognitive, in motor, in social, on those levels mm. that build skills. And then language is beautifully embedded in all of those skills. Mm -hmm. And then there's other language skills on your own where you read to children, you talk to them and you sing and, and many other things. And so all of them are working to build self-esteem, which is built also in special activities, but not only. It's mm -hmm. truly built through the skills that, and it's not skills as much as just through the developmental progress in all of those areas. Yeah, that's really important. And I, I have a question, Dr. Sally, about what you think this thing that I'm holding up, what, what this, what effect this is going to have, because I have to tell you, I see new moms with uh, newborns and they may be walking them in a stroller. Uh, they may have a little one clinging to their leg, trying to get their attention and they are on their cell phone. And so what are your thoughts about that? My thoughts are parents need to be knowledgeable about the effect that we're gonna talk about. And I think I have a way of explaining that that will make it clear. <laughs> so this is, um, when you have a baby, let's say the baby was born 50 years ago, there, the, the only way to feed your baby was nursing because that's what nature made. And that connects you with your baby. And when you nurse, it's not just the food. The food is kind of minor in a sense, believe it or not. It's time for you to connect with your baby in this position. It turns out this position is the exact right position for a baby to be able to see your face and connect with your eyes. Mm. So this is super, super important. Now, if you didn't know that, and it looks like most people don't, so once you have bottles come into the world around 50 years ago or 75 or whenever that is, mm -hmm. so they were a big help because if you couldn't possibly feed your baby at the time, someone else could help you out and that's fine. But the, or the bottle could help you out. This position should never have been broken. This is the baby's position that nature made. Mm -hmm. And to understand the food concept that I said, it would be like, we all connect with people over food. So that never goes away. Mm -hmm. Like if you, your family gets together, you get together over meals and you're supposed to, in the old days or the old way, the meals kept you connected. You mm -hmm. got the food, but you got the connection. Mm -hmm. So this is the same thing, mm -hmm. the connection, and this is the only way it should be. Well, keep going down the line. So maybe someone could help out. That's fine. But then all of a sudden, the helper could be the feeder. You took the baby away from the mother who's supposed to be bonding and attaching through mm -hmm. that process. Mm -hmm. So to cut to the chase of your question, 
we have even mothers who are nursing or bottle feeding and respect us are on the cell phone mm -hmm. because they're on the cell phone. Mm -hmm. So if you know that this is for bonding and attachment and communicating and eye contact, you won't do that or you won't do it as much. Mm -hmm. We can't say take away 2023 and make it different. But if you know that that's not appropriate for when you have this time, you'll do it less. Mm -hmm. So that is a one very big distractor and detractor that we want to minimize. Mm -hmm. And like, it's what you mentioned, it's awareness solved the problem. Mm -hmm. And if you're not aware, you won't, you won't do that. So you mm -hmm. don't want every, you don't want to say as many as it is now, oh, hi, I'm so glad you came to my house. Can you feed the baby? It's like feed the baby. No, it's not feed the baby. You are the bonding and attachment person and that person is adding to the community and the joy, but that's not the right person to be doing that. So we don't, we're not criticizing, <laughs> the, you know, you may need that person because you have to do 10 other things. That's real, that's real. But knowing to try to minimize those, minimize those situations that take away what you said in the beginning, bonding and attachment because that gives the baby strength. This is the first and most important relationship, mother-child. Then there's parent-child, there's sibling-child, there's grandparent-child, aunt, uncle, uh, grandparent aunt uncle, <laughs> uncle and cousin-child. Those are major too, and we're losing a lot of those. This is a big support system to a person growing in a big world. This is the training ground with those people that love you for the rest of interacting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have a great quote and you say, every child is entitled to the finest experiences and every parent should know how to provide them. There is not a moment to waste. That, that's the main quote. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Not it's so important. Yeah. So how can people listening find you, Dr. Sally? I guess there's two good ways. Um, and probably the best would be the website, which is Parenting with Dr. Sally. Mm -hmm. So there's the blogs on there. There's a blog of information, the blog of news, and, and my favorite Q&A. I, I love to answer questions and I can answer them in two ways, either on the blog or privately. So, but that's a little vehicle to get out this kind of information. So that's a website. And then there's the Fountain Hills Community Center. My town where I live is Fountain Hills and I teach ongoing classes there. So they publicize whatever class is going on at the time, but they are all really tailored to the people that come and have whatever their interests are because they're all based on this idea, and this idea can be very personalized to your child and, and what you can do with your child, all understanding, as you have brought out, that it, it's not so easy in today's very busy time and poor people and all of the other pressures, but a little bit of knowledge goes a very long way. Absolutely. I mean, awareness can change your life in a second. In a second. Yeah. In a second. Just by hearing it 
and it can change uh, change what you do, how you manage your life, what your priorities are. And I hope that it has done that for our listeners today. Uh, I've certainly learned a lot from you, Dr. Sally. Is uh, there is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with in addition to what we've talked about? I guess there's possibly one thing that we didn't touch on and that's important. Um, so the main thing to remember is nurturing love mm-hmm. because love is very natural <laughs> and that is what carries the bottle. So you actually want free people to be able to feel it and mm-hmm. use it. So mm-hmm. if you're very bogged down, which is realistic, mm-hmm. you can't feel it and use it and love it. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another related issue this isn't to give a anything more than being a related issue but we talked about bonding and attachment as being the key to the very first year and how important that is Mm -hmm. and there's another difficulty besides crime and violence and besides drug abuse that is increasing by the year and a lot of people are familiar with it but it's autism Mm -hmm. And autism is, and not again, these are not final sentences, but it's related to disconnection. And there's a possibility that connection in these ways that we're talking about in the very first year might be able to eliminate some of those cases that show up after the first year. And it seems that autism is not diagnosed or noticed or felt or evolved until after the second year. So it's very possible that programming that connects the parent and child, if it can be done in a nurturing way, could eliminate some of those cases from ever happening and saving when I told you the pain that the mother and the family feel when they have to deal with an extra problem like that that takes extra time and extra care. So I did, I'm so glad you asked that because there, there, it's, there has to be a relationship and it's very possible we can help with that as well. Wow. I mean, that was a huge, huge piece of information that you just dropped there, which is that connection within the first year can be related to a later diagnosis of autism. And we know that uh, that uh, autism is, uh, the, the levels are just going up. I, I can't remember what, how many cases of, uh, you know, autism they're expecting to have in, in the next uh, few decades, but I know that it's skyrocketing. It's skyrocketing. It's actually the newest one I read is one in 44 births. Yeah. So yeah. if it started out one in hundreds of thousands and one in thousands and one in hundreds and one in 50, yes. we know wow. something we are doing is causing that. Well, yes. I mean, honestly, <laughs> simplified or not other that's for sure no that's for sure (laughs) we know something we are doing in modern times in modern life that's breaking the connection uh is a factor 
So I'm super, I'm glad that you, you like that I said that because it's another thing that I would like to do is save a lot of mothers, parents, and families from a lot of difficulties that go along with trying to ameliorate and deal with and focus on those conditions. That's incredible. I mean, we could do a whole other podcast on that concept because that is so important. And we have so many people, so many parents and educators that are living with autism, with the kids, with students. Uh, Wow, that's amazing. And and it's difficult difficult to, I mean, there is a level of difficulty with communication and connection anyway with someone with autism. Right. And it has to start somewhere. And so, well, if if I can be helpful, and I said I have those missions to help the people that suffer along with the difficulties, I'm going to help them. (laughs) So this is fantastic that we've united in absolutely in I, this I very grand way that um, I think we can make a big difference together. I totally agree, Dr. Sally. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the Choose Love podcast. Audience, you will be hearing more from Dr. Sally. I really strongly encourage you to share this information, talk about it with other parents, buy her books, read about it, because we are all responsible for all of our kids and everything that's going on out in our world. I keep saying that, you know, I I don't know if, if we think that we're waiting for someone else to come in here and fix this because there is no white knight riding in on a horse to fix this. There's no politician or leader. It is going to be us. So thank you so much, Dr. Sally. You are a huge part of the solution. Thank you listeners, because you are as well. You spent this time with us because you care. And I know that you're going to take positive action to do something about what you learned. We know the opposite of anxiety. That is also an epidemic going on in our world. The opposite is positive action. And there are so many positive actions that we can take. So thank you so much, Dr. Sally. And we will continue to be connected and we will be hearing much more from you. Can I be happier? I'm so delighted. And and what I found from from communicating with you has just been awesome. And I thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. We will talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. It's all part of us. We can all choose love. It'll lift you up if you let it in. Let the healing.